0: Hello and welcome to Hopeful, a podcast that spotlights wonderful people making the world a little bit brighter. Each episode I speak to someone I admire about why they do what they do, how they stay optimistic and who inspires them. In this episode I'm joined by Hannah Gaffey, an incredible woman who has led fundraising initiatives, advocated for people seeking asylum and has an MPhil from Cambridge. Her Tease for Fees campaign was widely featured in the national press where she gained the support of her community to pay for her master's course. She was a recipient of a future finance scholarship and currently runs the social media for Mosaic, a charity that supports people of refugee status in reaching university. So throughout your life, uh, you've clearly demonstrated a passion for education. I mean, even leading a campaign to support your studies. Did that struggle influence your interest in education for asylum seekers and refugees?
1: I suppose the the like interest in like people who are seeking asylum and people who have refugee status like that's something I've been interested in like in most of my adult life because of obviously the so-called refugee crisis um, that came sort of to a head in twenty fifteen. Like I remember when I was in uni in London as a fresher, like going to um protests against like basically airstrikes in syria so that's kind of like where at first i was like okay the government have no respect for these people kind of thing and then in terms of education and people who are seeking asylum when i worked at the united world college red cross nordic which is in a little place called flecker in western norway Um, I met like a lot of people who were seeking asylum in Norway, like men in their late 20s who were like, yeah, I've been living in an asylum centre for 10 years and I'm not allowed to go to like further education. I'm not allowed to work. And I think for me, as someone who was still is in their early 20s, like I know how difficult it is to just try and navigate life at this point anyway and like even if you have options in front of you and you're like considering those options it's really difficult but imagine just like having no options you're not allowed to go and study you're not allowed to go and work like your existence can kind of be reduced to sitting in the asylum center and waiting for the days to pass until you might get a positive outcome in your, your asylum application
0: yeah no definitely I just think it's it's really incredible because I do think education is one of those things that we all take for granted until like we don't have it um Mm. and yeah and I just thought so your research for your um MPhil that was all about the experiences of asylum seekers right can you tell me a little bit more about that because I think it sounds so fascinating
1: yes I can um so one second Lisa cough (laughs) (laughs) so um my MPhil research was about the lives of three people, these are obviously pseudonyms but they're called Aryan, Malisha and Yaman, um, sometimes it's hard to remember the fake names <laughs> instead of the real names, um, but basically it was about their contacts with the education system um, since they've been in the UK and also their aspirations for like their education but also their career in the future, which is kind of how it started off because obviously my master's degree was in education so it had to have like an education focus but during our conversations we sort of gradually started talking about like the hostile environment um the challenges that they face day to day that aren't necessarily to do with education so just having to live on 37 pounds 50 a week and the challenges that that presents but obviously there are also challenges with education because if you want to go to a language class which is in your nearest city but you can't afford the bus fare then you need to walk an hour there an hour back two hours there two hours back however long it takes you because you can't you have to make the decision between eating or getting on the bus so you obviously choose eating um so yeah we basically just ended up talking about their life story but in a really short amount of time um and we i chose to focus on their like experience within the UK because I didn't want to sort of re-traumatise them from anything that they've experienced in the past and people sort of said to me like when they were coming to this interview they were like I don't want to talk about anything prior to me being in the UK I only want to focus on like my experiences now um I feel like I'm rambling again not <laughs> at <actually> all I've <laughs> podcasting really or interviews um but yeah I like present the most sort of interesting thing that I think is interesting about my research is that obviously this whole thing happened in the context of the really problematic environment that we have around refugees and asylum seekers in the UK in terms of public opinion, the press and politicians saying, you know, calling people bogus asylum seekers saying that people are economic migrants, that they have no rights to seek asylum in this country, that they're fake, that they're this, that they're that. Um, so I suppose the whole earlier part of my dissertation focused on that context. And then I brought these three people's life stories and I presented the like data section of my dissertation as stories instead of like as graphs or as just like little quotes from them. I just presented it as a story. Um, and I think my main finding is that obviously... People will say about people who are seeking asylum, you know, they don't work, they don't contribute to the economy, they don't, you know, they're just a waste of space kind of thing. But people aren't allowed to work legally. So you're putting them in a system which doesn't allow people to work and then you're calling them a burden or you're calling them a drain on the economy, but people aren't given the opportunity to not be a burden or not be a drain on the economy and it's an opportunity that they really want um so that's interesting i think
0: <laughs> yeah definitely and i think it's also great that you've come at it from like a very academic perspective i think that there are a lot of activists and people out there doing it but it's quite um reassuring to know that there's like facts and data behind it and i think maybe people find that easier to to understand. I mean like obviously you've done those amazing like graphics on Instagram um, explaining stuff which I'm such a fan of. Um, do you think that it's going to get better? I mean what are your feelings about the future? I'm, I mean I'm fascinated, well not fascinating is the wrong word but um, I'm very actively interested in the refugee crisis um, and I very often find it quite bleak and quite sad to think about. And I was wondering what you thought, obviously, if you spent a long time listening to people's stories, um, how that sort of shaped your, your view of the crisis and your view of how it might be in the future.
1: Um, so I think the, I'm going to start about the infographics and like the facts and the figures, because I think that's really interesting. Um, I think asylum isn't really understood as like a topic in the UK, because you do have to have some knowledge of like, legal stuff refugee law and that's something that i don't even like i don't really have that much knowledge of like it's only from doing my masters and reading like a handful of policy documents that i'm like okay this is what the rules are so for example myths like you have to seek asylum in the first safe country that you reach you know that's not enshrined in refugee law but it's one of those things where if someone said it to you you'd be like yeah that probably makes sense like of course you have to seek asylum in the first you know Quote unquote safe country that you reach it's actually not true so there's like a lot of myths that are sort of bandied around and have been bandied around for years because I remember being a kid and hearing the phrase bogus asylum seeker like reading it on a front page or hearing it in the news and never questioning it and always like when I was a kid I think I thought of asylum seekers as criminals like I think that's just what I thought um whereas now there's a lot more people doing things like creating infographics or you know going on tv and talking about it and saying no this is actually the facts of the situation asylum seekers don't live a life of luxury that's also something that you know the daily mail etc would like to produce and say yeah you know asylum seekers live a life of luxury um they don't um so yeah that's one thing i never answer the question You might have noticed so the second part of the question was what does the future look like i don't know it's really scary um i think let's talk about the scary size, because they do exist i think it's really worrying that political actors like Prissy patel you know for example yesterday when people lost their lives in the channel uh and i'm saying people but also very small people like a five-year-old and you know other people who are minors um they go with this argument of well you know if people didn't um, go into the hands of smugglers or traffickers then this wouldn't happen which is absolutely correct Um, but there's never a conversation around providing safe and legal routes to asylum it's always well we need to crack down on these criminal gangs which again absolutely true the criminals are also they are the bad guys they are making a lot of money off vulnerable people to take them across the channel but it's like, it's not, you know, you crack down on one criminal gang, another criminal gang's going to pop up. It's not as if you're just like, well, what did Boris, Boris Johnson like, this whack-a-mole mole phrase. So I'll use that. It's not a whack-a-mole mole approach because you can't just whack one gang down and another one won't pop up. Um, so, yeah, that is scary because they don't try and address a safe and legal route to asylum. And I think that's because they're trying to appease a very small but vocal major- minority who don't want people to seek asylum in this country and would prefer for other countries in the EU to deal with it that um, are not us. Um, it's a lot of that nimbyism of, well, someone else can just deal with the problem and not not me, not in my backyard, thank you very much. Um, so that is scary because you think, well, if we have people like Boris Johnson and Prissy Purcell putting out statements that say we're gonna crack down on criminal gangs but never, addressing a more holistic issue which would you know provide maybe a solution to the problem like providing a safe and legal route so people don't have to risk their lives don't have to pay criminals um yeah they just they don't they don't try and address the root of the problem i guess um but in terms of hopeful things i think during like the time of doing my master's i like decided to fully utilize social media which i've never done before like as an quote-unquote academic like there's actually a lot of people out there who are lawyers like human rights lawyers and have twitter and just like talk about this stuff all the time so i found all these like really cool resources and people and ngos who are talking about this and that is one of the things that gives me hope for the future because if we ever find ourselves in a position where things are even more hostile than they are now i now understand that there's so many people especially working in the legal profession who are not going to let you know political actors like Boris Johnson or Chrissy Purcell get away with the things that they want to get away with um so I suppose the fact that there's people who want to create change is the thing that keeps me going
0: oh that is just I could listen to you talk all day man it's just so (laughs) articulate so articulate I love it um so yeah I mean that's it's so true it's this the social media can actually I have such a funny relationship with it cause some days I just see these amazing posts and I see people, you know, sticking it to the man and I'm so overwhelmed. And then some days I'm just like, I feel rubbish because of this horrible app. Um, and it is so hard to find that balance. Um, but going back to sort of your campaign, um, to get your fees, cause I just think it's the coolest thing ever. Um, sort of you clearly had to really engage with your community there and and get people on board and were you was it quite moving or surprising the reaction that you had because it was clearly a very positive reaction
1: yeah um I'll explain what it is for anyone who's listening and doesn't know what we're talking about so when I got accepted into the University of Cambridge to do my master's degree you have to like Prove that you have enough money to be able to go there, otherwise they sort of won't take you in, and the amount that I was given like that I needed to raise was around twenty four thousand pounds um and circa twelve thousand pounds of that is course fees, and the other twelve thousand pounds is like maintenance, so that you have to prove that you have enough to like pay rent eat travel etc etc um and something like 80, it's either 81 or 89%, I don't remember, um, of people self-fund their masters at Cambridge. That doesn't necessarily mean that they pay outright themselves, but it means that they've got a funding source that is external to the University of Cambridge. So there's either 11 or 19% of scholarships given to potential master's students. So I wasn't one of those people. I also, now looking back, I realised that I'd never been told how to write like a funding application. (laughs) So I didn't know, like I'd literally in the funding part of the application, I was like, I'm financially independent from my parents and I've worked a part-time job for like the whole of my undergraduate degree and you don't allow me to do this at Cambridge so I need funding. And that's not actually how you write a funding application, I know now you're supposed to write like why you're so great and why you deserve the funding and like about your interests and your academic work and that is not what I wrote at all so I didn't get given the funding and then I was like oh (laughs) thanks so you you go through like the initial like rush of being given an offer to go to University of Cambridge to do a master's and you're like yes and then they're like you need to fund this money by yourself and I'm like Oh well I don't know anyone who can give me £24,000 to do this so this is going to be a problem and I can't remember what order it happened in but like my first thing that I started to do was like apply for scholarships and stuff like external to the university so there's like loads of different things you can use there's an app called Grant Fairy um and there's the alternative postgraduate funding guide, I think it's called, and like all of these things basically help you find scholarships. So I was applying to like loads of them, and then my friends set up a GoFundMe on my behalf, which was like really overwhelming because in the back of my head I had obviously like the idea to set up a GoFundMe, but I was like, is it embarrassing? Like I don't really know if I want to ask people for money. So I was like, I was keeping that as like a last resort kind of thing. I was like i'll probably get one of these scholarships like if i just keep applying for it it'll be fine um and one day they just like they put me in like a group message on facebook and they're like we're setting you up for GoFundMe." me and i was like what <laughs> and they were like yep yeah. and i was like okay <laughs> so then they just set it up and that was really nice and then we were obviously getting funding from that but then it was like getting closer and closer to the deadline because obviously i couldn't like say yes to my offer unless i knew that i could like financially afford it otherwise there's no point in going and we were getting closer and closer to like the date where i had to like say that i I can go so i was like okay i need to come up with another idea so what emma was referring to is um this campaign called teas for fees which i set up um and it was a collection of t-shirts and tote bags with the like illustrations of nine of my friends faces on them And for some reason, people thought it was a great idea and bought them. (laughs) And that's kind of all I can say about it, is a lot of people got behind me and decided that they liked the t-shirts and they also wanted me to go to university, so they
0: bought them. For some reason, I mean, for very good reason, they're really cool. Um, I just think it's such a beautiful thing that... You know, they were inspired by your friends and the fact that your friends came together and supported you and then they also, like, were the reason that you got, like, I just think that's the most beautiful, I don't even know, So Yeah, I should
1: probably, like, explain that as well. Like, the people that I picked so obviously people who are inspirational to me, otherwise I wouldn't have picked them. Because I was thinking, like, initially, obviously, I had a bit of a business mind turned on and I was like, do I need to like come up with a t-shirt that has like inspirational women on it but like people that like everyone know and then I was like well no actually because that has nothing to do with my life and like it would be fairly random and it's not really something that I care to do just like make this random t-shirt with people's faces on that I've just like cherry-picked like I really like these people so I'm going to put them on a t-shirt which is actually what I did but just with my friends um but I wanted it to be like people who I felt like have got me to the place where I am today. Um, and then I suppose if I raised the money it would be like, and we're all going together to Cambridge.
0: <laughs> but it's, it's I think, it's so much better that it was people that inspired you. And because everyone can be inspiring, like, you know, you don't have to be famous or have a huge following to be someone that makes the world a bit better. And I, I think that is just, I think that's kind of what people liked about it was that it was, you know, it was personal to you, but also was going to something really important, like you getting, getting this incredible education.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Maybe that's why. I also, I think, Do do you think that people get a bit bored of looking at like celebrity or influencer and they're like oh these are just like normal people on a t-shirt I'm also a normal person not on a t-shirt like maybe yeah. this is something I can get behind like I do think people get bored of maybe not celebrating like normal people being inspirational
0: it, I think it's very easy to look at someone who's achieved lots and be like well I could never do that um or I'm and it, it almost has a reverse effect that it's it's um not inspiring what's the other word um I don't even know uninspiring. yeah uninspiring or just makes you feel a bit crap about yourself whereas yeah remembering that you know your friends and your family and all these people around you have just the same power and impact mm. on other people as you know a celebrity does um and I thought that was just really beautiful thank you so with regards to being hopeful and you know having an optimistic viewpoint on life um how are you finding the coronavirus lockdown um how is that affecting because i mean i think i would call you an activist i don't know if you would call yourself an activist um because i think that
1: honestly (laughs) i don't know (laughs) because i think i started well obviously i've been like Um, activist whatever you want to call it in my personal life probably since like I turned 18 since I've been an adult um and then I just started like posting stuff on Instagram that I found interesting and I only I think I have 2,000 followers now and like 500 of them came in like the last few months and now I'm like do I have a platform is this are people following me for a reason like should I keep posting this stuff because like my my platform if that's what we're going to call it i feel like i post like stupid stuff that i do every day like i post like what i'm eating or like a workout i've just done or a friend i've just seen or whatever but then i'm also like sharing like what's going on in terms of like the government trying to do something stupid with refugee rights um so it's kind of it's a weird pressure in some ways because i don't feel like I know what people expect of me and sometimes I don't want to be a vocal advocate for things honestly I'm like I just want to live my life and then if you do have any kind of a platform people make assumptions about you on and your life based on the like five minutes of you that they see a day because I think with me people are like oh Hannah's always on Instagram like she's always doing these things and then they think they know everything about my life but actually don't. but what we were talking about corona and lockdown and what keeps me hopeful. Um I did write three things that keeps me hopeful. Oh my I gosh, hope I would love to hear them. if that's good. Yeah. Um so on the same kind of wavelength, so thing number one would be on the same kind of wavelength as the thing before that I was talking about with like human rights lawyers and activists. Um obviously it's quite apparent in social media spaces that we frequent that there are people who are willing to make positive change and one thing that I really like is particularly in 2020 people like reclaiming Instagram as like an educational tool rather than obviously it's a traditionally like really visual platform and you can only post pictures and so many words but now obviously with people like posting the swipey swipey infographic things Um, I think we're just reclaiming it as our own educational tool and people of our generation are using it to educate on so many different issues like you can go on Instagram and read about literally whatever you want to read and I think as long as the person who's producing that content like says where the source of the information comes from then I think it's a perfectly valid way to learn new information Um, and I think the people who are critics of that and call it slacktivism or armchair activism um don't get it and also we're living in coronavirus so in-person activism literally isn't
0: <laughs> yeah I mean we've fully seen how amazing social media can be in activism like I mean like Gina Martin's upskirting campaign mm-hmm. the majority of that well not the majority of that obviously there was a lot of hard work put in but like a lot of that came through her social media activism it it is so powerful because it's allowing you to talk to all these people that you otherwise would not meet and probably wouldn't hear you otherwise and i think yeah the, the critics of that are very often have not got any clue how young people operate or how this generation is making change
1: yeah i think it's also it's kind of in the same genre of when people like critique people for being influencers because it's not like it's not a job that we understand because it hasn't existed until like five it probably existed more than five years ago but you know what i mean like people making money off of instagram for example isn't something that we understand because it's not a job that's been around for hundreds of years so then people will critique it because it's like it's not a real job like when are they going to get a real job um it's like that it's like when are they going to do real activism instead of just doing instagram activism you know i think it's just we don't understand it yet so maybe it is just difficult for us yeah just get our heads around it and we find it easy to just critique people instead of saying oh maybe this is a really cool way to learn things let's do it more
0: yeah definitely go on number two number two
1: is knowing that the most successful change-makers, activists, insert synonym here, in history, probably also had bad days. Like, I imagine they probably also had days where they were like, why am I doing this? You know, I don't know why I get out of bed every morning because it feels like I'm not making any kind of positive change. I saw this video from AOC recently and she was saying, I am scared, I am terrified. Like, I do live in fear. And when she gets out of bed and she like goes and does a speech somewhere, or she goes and does this thing, she doesn't feel brave when she's doing it, like she feels terrified. But then from that, like externally to us, we're like, Whoa, she's like doing all this cool stuff and she's making things happen, but she doesn't feel like that when she's doing those things. So I think thing number two is that other people in history who have made change also didn't feel like they were making any change, they felt scared, and they didn't, they weren't e- able to like see past the point that they were currently living in. And then point number three is like something like a bit random, is that I think taking time away from my phone and away from social media gives me hope, especially if it's like it would be like time spent in nature, but literally time spent in like a mountain without <laughs> access to any electricity because I think the obviously the good side of social media we've already talked about, like it is a place for learning, it's a place for connecting with people. You can create safe spaces online and you can be with people who think like you. But then the flip side of that is that you then demonize anyone who doesn't think like you, Um, which can be really difficult in like real life situations when you have to go to work or you have friends or you have family who don't agree with you especially don't agree with you politically and i don't know if you've watched the social dilemma on netflix where it talks about this like extensively and recently i was also walking around the nobel peace center in oslo and i realized that like a lot of people who have like campaigned for peace in another life (laughs) um they had to have difficult conversations with people they didn't agree with and i think that yeah by being on social media you do sort of think oh well everyone who doesn't agree with everything that i say is a really bad human being and they don't care about making positive change in the future but then by taking a step away from that for a few days having conversations with real people in your real life might maybe change that i don't know i don't know if that made sense
0: that made a lot of sense um so many things that you say are just brilliant Um, I really, yeah, I very, very much agree with the whole, sometimes you just need to talk to some people in real life. Um, I think it is really easy, especially on social media, if you're following a lot of people that you agree with, um, to then suddenly not be used to hearing someone disagree with you. I've just started this master's course and I've met some really wonderful people on it, but also some people that I have very different views to. Mm -hmm. And initially I was like, oh my God, I I feel really <laughs> weird about this there's a Tory here and I, I don't really know how to interact but I was like okay yeah we disagree on views but that doesn't mean we can't have a conversation or agree on something else like it's very unlikely you're going to completely disagree about everything with one person I mean maybe some no, fundamental exactly. things but not everything and I think yeah that's a very good point is sometimes getting off your phone and just being being in nature Just being being, one exactly,
1: and especially as we're all young people who are like sort of at the start of our careers like you're definitely going to have to deal with people that you don't agree with like in the workplace for example so yeah it's good to get practice and that's what i've started doing which i hate is i've started following people on social media that i don't agree with and i follow this account on twitter it's either called immigration watch or migration watch and it's literally just like like they'll just copy and paste daily mail articles and then be like thousands of asylum seekers have entered the country this year and it's like and it's obviously then like loads of people commenting in reply on like the twitter thread like yeah like just really i don't want to repeat any of the comments because it's just really horrible things and it, it takes a lot for me to follow that account because every single tweet they put out upsets me. But I think you have to be, I don't want to be like you have to be aware of the enemy, but like you do. I have to be aware of what I would, if I ever go into like a position that talks about these issues, I have to be aware of the arguments that like the other side are using, um, and what other people actually think about people who come and seek asylum in this country. So that's one way that I've tried to branch out is by following people that I don't agree with, but it's not easy
0: <laughs> to do. No, that's the thing, isn't it? I, I, I very, like, it's so important to know what other people are saying because I think that also means you're much better prepared when you are confronted with those kind of narratives to be able to challenge them. I think I used to be, just be like, I would just yell at people that disagreed with me and because I couldn't cope I couldn't cope but mm. then I realized that if someone just shouts at me when they think I'm wrong I don't come at. I then don't respond in a calm like listening way I just shut myself off and I realized that so if I'm attacking someone they're not going to listen to me if I just come at them aggressively you know we have to be able to have conversations and I do think that that's one of the things we all need to do as a as an world a lot better is remembering to talk to people um and listen i think there's a lot of stuff where we just say whatever we think and we're all i've often been in conversations where i'm just waiting to be able to see a gap in the conversation where i can say the thing that i think but i'm not listening to what the person's (laughs) saying And I well what the point was this conversation because i could have just done a monologue in my head and it would have had the same effect
1: yeah and then when you've left that conversation you do do the monologue in your head of all the things that you should have said instead but i think one disclaimer that i'd like to put out about this point of conversing with people who disagree with you i think you have to have your own personal boundaries especially as a woman on the internet because i've had experiences of people who i have like been friends with in real life but then we've you know some distance we've grown apart, whatever and then they've used social media as kind of a tool to uh like everything that i would post that is like vaguely political they would like jump on it and, and they're not necessarily attacking what i'm saying but they're trying to attack me and i made a decision this year to delete a couple of people off my social media and it was one of those things that was like you know what are the ramifications of this like if i ever bump into them in the street is it going to be awkward Um, and it was like no actually like I don't want these people in my life. they don't add anything uh, what's the word positive to my life Um, and so I do think you have to exercise like personal boundaries um, because if you are going to engage someone in discussion it has to be respectful on both sides and if you're like opening yourself up then they have to open themselves up as well and not just be attacking you and I think the same obviously goes for trolls like when i was posting those infographics there were people who were obviously like they had like no followers they had no profile picture they were just troll accounts who were like wanted to come onto my account and say evil things about people who seek asylum so i just had a strict blocking policy for those people because they didn't want to actually engage you in conversation they just want to attack you and other people so yeah try as best as you can To see the other side, but also have personal boundaries are my top tips.
0: I love that. Yeah. And definitely. And because, you know, sometimes you just, you have to accept that you're not going to be able to change someone's mind. Mm. I think we talk a lot um, with solidarity about having tricky conversations and talking about the refugee crisis. And actually you've got to work out quite early on, is this actually going to be a fruitful conversation? Because if it's not, it's not worth your time, your energy, Mm. your emotional baggage, coming out, so yeah, very good point. Um, so sort of heading towards the end, would you like to tell me about someone who is inspiring you?
1: Yes, when you, because obviously we talked about this like a few weeks ago and you sent me like some examples of questions and I was like oh I don't really know who <laughs> inspires me and I feel like I don't have like a person for like each time or whatever, but now I would like to talk about Marcus Rashford
0: because He's just brilliant
1: I love him When you sent it like the other day I was like well now I do have an inspirational Person because it's current And it makes sense Um, But I think he is just a prime example Of how to use your platform Like if you have one like I don't know how many followers He has on Twitter but probably like Hundreds of thousands if not A million I literally don't know how many he has We can check that later Um, You know obviously has a massive platform He's a footballer um and even though obviously a recent vote in parliament didn't go the way that he would have wanted it to go, I think it's really cool that he's partnering with an organization who are campaigning to end child food poverty. And I don't know if you've seen on Twitter, but he's doing this thing where like, so if I was setting up like um a free school meals initiative in my town, I would tweet it to him. Then he quote tweets it and he puts like the little location emoji and then lists where it is. So like you can go on his twitter and just scroll and find like places in your area if you need to get a kid a meal and someone's turned it into a google map so now you can just go on a good i know amazing you can just go on a google map and zoom into your local area and it'll tell you all the places in your local area um who are providing free school meals over the half-term holidays and it's just Cool, because it's like he's obviously done that and used his platform, and then some anonymous person—they're probably not anonymous, but I don't know what their name is—has used their technology genius to turn it into this interactive map that anyone can use. So Marcus Rashford is my person of the moment.
0: (laughs) He honestly is. It's just exactly what you say—an example of how to use a platform well, and just and just yeah, winning, and just being a national treasure honestly I don't know anything about football I didn't know about him until the free school meals thing and now I honestly part of me would watch a football match for Marcus (laughs) because I love him so much (laughs) yeah Um, I think it's real yeah so what are you looking forward to in the next few weeks months year? good question
1: um I'm I'm unemployed (laughs) so I'm looking forward to being more settled in life generally I think because obviously 2020 has been a very unsettling year um, for a lot of people and for a lot of different reasons and I think everyone myself included is looking for some small portion of normality um so I'm looking forward to getting a job getting, like, my own flat to live in, and just living a really mundane, boring and normal life. (laughs) Which sounds, like, really pants, but I think that is just what I'm looking forward to, just being able to sort of go back to not a normality, but something that's more stable. Let's call it that.
0: Yeah, no, I think that will ring true with a lot of people. It's just having a bit of structure, I guess. Yeah. It's it's knowing knowing what you'll be able to do with your friends next month or even next week. Um, cause at the moment it is just all a bit overwhelming. Um, thank you so much for talking to me today. You are just a delight and I'm so inspired by you.
1: <laughs> thank you for inviting me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to hopeful. Please subscribe for more episodes and check out my Instagram at hopefulpodcasts for more content. If you enjoyed this episode, please go and give it a rating in Apple Podcasts as it will help other people find it and would make my day. Thank you to Josh Christopher for the wonderful music and Sophie DeSalis for the graphics accompanying the podcast.